The following podcast is from Tabernacle Baptist Church in Cartersville, Georgia. Thanks for listening. Church family, if you have a copy of God's Word with you, and I hope you do, find your place in Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14, and this morning we're going to look at verses 22 through 26. I'm speaking speaking on the subject, a special meal. And indeed, we have a special meal before us in the Lord's Supper. The Lord has given us this meal by divine design for our own spiritual encouragement and edification. He, in his infinite wisdom knew that we needed to remember things, so he gave some powerful object lessons to remind us of gospel truth throughout our spiritual journey. This is a special meal. Uh, Now, we call it the Lord's Supper. Some would call it communion. In Scripture, we see it presented as the Lord's Supper here in Matthew's Gospel. Uh, The Lord Jesus instituted this meal to be observed by the church throughout the church age shortly before his death. And so we see scripture in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 encouraging us to regularly take of this meal. And we see here a narrative or a story where Jesus establishes it. Now it's important to note that when Jesus created the Lord's Supper, he did so on occasion of the Passover meal. The Passover meal was one uh, observed by Israel in Jesus' day and even to this day, but observed by, by Israel in Jesus' day as a commemoration of how the Lord took Israel out of Egypt. Do you remember that story? Moses said to Pharaoh, you got to let my people go. And Pharaoh finally, after all of those plagues and the death of the firstborn, allowed the people of God to leave Egypt. And the Lord, shortly before they left, gave this meal as a meal of remembrance. Now Jesus, we're going to see in Mark chapter 14, tweaks the meal for the Christian church age. But it's indeed a special meal. Do you all have any special meals that you enjoy? I have some of my favorite. I remember one of my favorite meals or one that I remember a lot was when Laura and I were first married, we went on a cruise. We hadn't been married long. How many of y'all have been on a cruise before? How many of y'all after Corona don't think you'll ever go on a cruise? All right. So when Laura and I were first married and I was on staff at a church where the preacher got asked to do one of these Christian cruises. Did y'all know these things exist? It's a Christian cruise. They have Instead of, uh, you know, stand-up comedians and and dance shows, they have preachers and Southern gospel music, all right? And so they even changed, took the bar down and put a Christian bookstore in there where you go buy Southern gospel CDs and books from your favorite preacher. So pastor I was working with got asked to speak on this cruise. So Laura and I went with him. We got to go for free and tag along. And uh, I was looking forward to all week. I heard Thursday night. All you can eat, prime rib and lobster. That's worth the price of admission right there. So I was excited. Welcome about Wednesday evening, Laura got seasickness. She didn't get any better on Thursday. I'm thinking all day about lobster and prime rib. I mean, that's all I cared about on this whole trip. 
Thursday evening, she said, she was laying in bed. She said, honey, do you think maybe you go up on the deck in one of those, you know, kind of other restaurants they have, they have pizza and hamburgers. Could you just get some of that stuff and bring it back to the room and we could just eat in here? I said, I love you, baby, but I'm going to eat prime rib and <laughs> lobster. I ain't, I ain't going to do that. So I went, and then everybody thought I was a jerk when I was sitting at the table. You know, you sit with the same people all week. Where's your wife? I left her back in the room sick. <laughs> and I really did. When they came, I kind of, I don't think I lied, but I told the guy, why don't you go ahead and bring her prime rib and lobster tail? I got a head start with the all-you-can-eat by eating her plate. A special meal. You can think back in your life, maybe you have a, a favorite meal, a favorite restaurant. Jesus here gives this meal, but I want you to see it's special, and that may seem like a generic word, but it's special because it's designed to teach us some important spiritual truth. Jesus knew that humankind has a tendency to forget. In fact, you can read your Bible in the Old Testament and the New Testament alike and see that over and over again you see this one word, remember. Did you know this, a part of you experiencing the abundant life of Christ or for you to experience the abundant life of Christ, you got to get this key of remembering. See, spiritual forgetfulness will hamstring you in your Christian experience. Jesus knows that we have need of remembering the gospel, not just for salvation, but throughout our daily life, we need to remember that our worth and our significance and our value comes from Christ. Jesus knows that we have a tendency for, to forget that we're living for the next life. He knows that we have this temptation to get way too invested in all the toys and trinkets and stuff of this world. And we need a meal, some object lessons to remind us that this world is not our home. We're just a passing through. Jesus knows that in life we're going to face people who criticize us. We're going to be hurt. We're going to face trials and tribulations. And we need to remember that the body and blood of Jesus has made us overcomers in Christ. Jesus has given us this special meal and it teaches us some important truths. What does it teach us? Well, it reminds us of some important commitments we need to have in our Christian life. Consider three with, us this, three with me this morning. First of all, the Lord's Supper reminds us that I must do a better job of remembering. Or I could say it like this, personal commitment, I must be better at remembering. Now we're going to take of the Lord's Supper in just a moment. We're going to do a little bit different this time. We're going to take in the middle of the sermon. And so I hope you have your, your elements ready. But look here at the first couple verses of our passage, and I want us to see this commitment. Make it personal. I must be better at remembering. Look at what we see here in verse 22. It says, as they were eating, so they're taking of the Lord's Supper meal, he took bread, blessed it, broke it, gave it to them, and said, take it, this is my body. Now notice that they're in the act of eating. It's really important to consider the first century context, to consider how the Passover was observed in Jesus' day. Historians would tell us that the Passover centered around four different cups of wine. The first cup was consumed at the outset of the meal as people engaged in fellowship. And then the second cup was actually consumed with 
the meal. Now notice in your Bible, verse 22, it says, as they were eating. So Jesus and his disciples are at the second cup with the food. Now let's just press the pause button there for a moment. And I want to say a little bit about what they were drinking. Because I have four cups in front of me. And there's a lot of misrepresentation, even from the Lord's Supper, concerning the use of alcohol in our day and age. Notice in verse 25, where it says, Truly I tell you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new. And notice that the Bible here, that your New Testament, is very specific in referring to this beverage as the fruit of the vine. It's not the Greek word that's often used in the New Testament for wine, that Greek word oinos. The language here is fruit of the vine, which refers to a special type of drink that was in essence a form of watered down wine. Many would believe that the language here refers to a mixture that is one third wine, two thirds water. So notice the nature of what they are consuming here. And here they are on the second cup and they're eating the food with it. In the first part of the meal, you had a cup of wine and fellowship. In the second part, you had the actual food items along with the second cup. The food items traditionally with this Passover meal would contain different types of bitter herbs, there would also be different types of roasted vegetables, some stewed fruits, and also meat was consumed at this time. Along with those items, the worshipers or observers would have eaten, according to Exodus, unleavened bread. I have matzah crackers with me this morning that are really good representation of what they ate during that time, you can get these on amazon.com, all right? Or in your kosher food section at Kroger. They've usually got some of them. We'll say more about those later. But here they come to the second part. Now I want you to, to, to think about the tradition here. Tradition said this, the head of the household normally led the meal. Here Jesus is leading it, because he is the head of the household, the church, the leader of the 12 disciples. And tradition would say that when the head of the household began to serve the bread, the youngest in the household was prompted to ask, Father, why do we take of these items? And at that moment, the father would tell of how the Lord had called Abraham, of how the Lord had orchestrated circumstances that led Israel into Egypt. The father would then tell about the cruel, harsh bondage under a Pharaoh who did not know Joseph. And then the Lord would tell of how providentially the Lord and his graciousness had raised up a leader named Moses and the Lord had performed signs and wonders and miracles and he had rescued, delivered, and saved his people. The meal was a time for families to remember the good things that God had done. And here this morning, Jesus taking this meal and tweaking it and changing it and saying, Take this bread 
and eat it. It is my body. And in verse 23, he took a cup and after giving thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank from it. And he said to them, this is my blood, the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for you. We see here the purpose of this meal. We see why the Lord has commanded believers and churches of all generation to regularly take of bread and juice. Why we need to spiritually remember things. Just as a father would recount to his family the marvelous wonders of the Lord, this is a way for us to remember the the marvelous wonders of the Lord in our lives. This is a way for us to remember that we, although we are broken, finite, imperfect people with all types of habits and hangups, God in his mercy has smiled upon us. This is a way for us to remember this morning, although we are sinners deserving of death and separation from God, the Holy One of Israel has raised up a redeemer and a rescuer in Jesus Christ. And through Jesus, we have been cleaned of our sins we have been made righteous in his sight this is a way for us to remember that no matter what our guilt no matter what our shame jesus can erase it all this is a reminder this morning that no matter what our failures no matter what our family lineage jesus looks at us as new through his blood and jesus told us that this was the purpose of the lord's supper luke twenty-two nineteen, he said do this Do this in remembrance of me. And so we have this special meal. And it reminds me, I must be better at remembering. It reminds you, you must be better at remembering. Reminds all of us, we must be better at remembering the good things the Lord has done in our lives. And we're tempted to get down in the dumps with all of the discouragement in life. We need to learn how to look at Calvary and remember what Jesus has done. When we become overwhelmed with what others may say about us or how others have hurt us, we need to look to the cross and remember how Jesus has healed us. Must be better at remembering. This brings us to a key point, the Lord's Supper. Every once in a while, somebody will say, Pastor, who can take of the Lord's Supper? Maybe somebody's visiting from another church. How can, who can take of the Lord's Supper? Can we take of it this morning? I believe this point here shows us something really important about the Lord's Supper. It's something to be enjoyed by those who are born again. It's something to be taken of when you are saved. So this morning, if there has been that time in your life where you have turned from sin and turned to Jesus and believed that he was the Son of God who has died for your sin... If you're a person who has done that this morning, I would say you have something to remember. Take of the Lord's Supper and look to the body and blood of Christ and celebrate and remember. This morning, if you're not a believer, in essence, you have nothing to remember. We see here, however, that this is the significance of the Lord's Supper. It's designed to refresh our spiritual memories. It makes us recall our sin It makes us mindful that Jesus was the remedy for our sin. Without the Lord's Supper, we may be tempted to forget Christ, to forget the way that we've been forgiven, to forget our standing in Jesus. But through this Lord's Supper, 
we have a vivid object lesson. So I want to encourage you to take your elements here. If you are a born-again believer, if you are a Christian, take of your elements. Be careful, man. That, that little lid is hard to get off. Go ahead and get your bread out. So in life, you know, we've got to be good at remembering things, right? Growing up, I was kind of that airhead child that it seemed like I forgot everything. My dad, I remember at the rehearsal dinner for my wedding, gave a speech and he let Laura know how she needs to be good at reminding me of things. He'll forget anything. If his head wasn't screwed on, he'd lose it. So growing up, if we got in a car to go somewhere, uh, have you got your wallet? Have you got your keys? He'd run through the list before we left the house wanting to make sure I remembered things. Not long ago, I was, I was home and in town and I got tickets to a Braves game and I was excited to go to the game with my dad and I went and picked him up and we got in the car and he said, show me the tickets. <laughs> I wanted to make sure I didn't forget them. So, so nowadays on my phone, I have an app called Things, T-H-I-N-G. You can insert anything you need to do. And it's my reminder app. We know how important it is to have reminders. Jesus was a master teacher and he really knew how to teach and make a point well. So he gave us object lessons. See, we're tempted in our Christian life maybe to pat ourselves on the back and think we're really wise and we know it all and we're righteous and we saved ourselves. But Jesus gave us an object lesson to remind us that it's only by his body and his blood that we have any righteousness. The Lord knows that sometimes we can be a little bit hard on ourselves and we can have an inferiority complex and feel like we're not good enough. And the Lord gave us this object lesson to remind us that through his body and through his blood in God's eyes, we are good enough. The Lord knows that we have a tendency sometimes towards trying to earn our salvation or please God through our efforts. So he gave this object lesson where we collectively have to remember on a regular basis that it is only by his blood and his body that we have any ability to earn his favor. And so Jesus, as they were eating, took bread, blessed it, broke it, gave it to them, and said, take it, this is my body. So today we're remembering that Jesus gave his body on our behalf because our bodies deserve forever death and separation from him. But he died on that cross for our sins, and his body literally physically died and if we believe and trust in his sacrifice on our behalf one day when our bodies do die we will have promise that in the future he will raise them he will give us a glorified body that will forever live with him thank you Jesus for what you've done father in Jesus name thank you for the body of Christ Thank you that we have hope of one day having resurrected, glorified bodies that live forever with you in your presence. Help us to live lives of gratitude for all that you've done. I pray in Christ's name, amen, in remembrance of him.
Secondly, Jesus took the cup and he gave thanks, verse 23, and he gave it to them and they drank from it and he said to to them, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. In the cup, the disciples would have seen the dark liquid that in a way represented or looked like blood. Uh, They knew in their day that wine was used for cleansing. You go read the story of the Good Samaritan and see how he placed wine on the cuts of that man who was beaten and bruised on the side of the road. And so in the disciples' mind, they knew that this was often a symbol of cleansing. And Jesus held it up and used it as a symbol for his blood uh, to teach a lesson. Although we are all stained by sin and imperfection, unrighteousness and transgressions, Jesus gave his lifeblood on our behalf. And through what he did on the cross, if a man, a woman, a boy or girl will call upon the name of the Lord and ask for forgiveness, that individual will be cleaned by the blood of Jesus. No matter what you've done, no matter what you thought, no matter what you said, no matter matter how great the crime, no matter how long the addiction, Jesus stands ready to wash you clean in his blood. And he gave this object as an example for us so that we'd always remember we have cleansing through the blood of the Lamb. Jesus, thank you that you gave your blood on our behalf. We praise you that we can be clean and righteous. Thank you, Father, that when you see us, you don't see our sins, but because of our faith in Christ, you see the righteousness of your Son. Think about what the author of Hebrews said, Lord, that some could be in danger of living in a way that takes the blood for granted. Help us to never do that. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Jesus said to drink this in remembrance of him, in remembrance of him. The Lord's Supper teaches me some important truths. First of all, it reminds me I must be good at remembering. Number two, it reminds me that I must keep my eyes on the future. I need to keep my eyes on the future. I remember a few years back, I was talking to a Christian counselor and he was talking about how many people struggle during their 30s in life because they finally reach this place in their life where there's nothing new on the horizon. He explained to me, many people live their entire life, there's always this major new thing out in front of them. It's graduating kindergarten, graduating elementary school, graduating high school, then graduating college, and then you get married, then you have kids, and then many people get to this place after that where they kind of have this breakdown because there's nothing new and exciting on the horizon. I mean, what's next? Retirement? We won't talk beyond that, right? So I thought that was interesting. He said it's almost like people always need something to look forward to. And when there's not necessarily that thing a few years on the horizon to look forward to, there's this breakdown. We're reminded with this Lord's Supper that we've always got something to look forward to. 
Now, now we're going to see it here in verse number 25. Look at your Bible there. Jesus says, pay attention to the words. Truly, I tell you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Now, now notice Jesus is speaking of the future here. The far off future where the Lord makes all things new and establishes his kingdom upon the earth. And get this great Bible truth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and he created man and woman to live in a perfect relationship with himself. And everything was indeed perfect. Garden of Eden, paradise. But something happened. Sin entered into the picture and hijacked God's original intent for humanity. A man sinned and rebelled against God, and as a result, death, disaster, disease, entered in, deception, entered into the human condition. And right now, we're living in a world that is broken and messed up because of sin. Can anybody say amen to that? But the good news is this, Jesus is in the process of making Garden of Eden part two. He said, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. This world's not our home, we're just passing through. And one day, John the Revelator says, there'll be a new heaven and a new earth, and all the former stuff will have passed away. No more disease, no more death, no more division, no more deception, no more depravity, forever peace, perfection, and paradise with the Lord. Now, if you want to survive and thrive in this fallen world, you've got to be able to keep your eyes on that. You can't get your mind on what social media says, and you can't buy into this idea like this world's all there is. You can't get too tore up when you see sin. You ought to be a Christian and realize, hey, it's a broken world. You can't be one of these people demanding perfection in the here and now. If you're a Bible-believing Christian, you know perfection's not coming till the here and after. That doesn't mean we, work, we don't work to live holy lives and see the Lord's kingdom built upon the earth, but it does mean that we have this sober awareness that this world, Jesus said, Jesus said, is under the sway of someone Jesus called the prince of this world, Satan. So we're always looking forward to. Our hope is in the new heaven and new earth, not now. That's why the mission of the church should be, number one, to preach the gospel. The gospel is what heals people. The gospel is what gives hope. We're looking for a hereafter. Now, interestingly, at the Passover meal, there was four cups, right? First cup, that's kind of the welcome time. Let's all talk and chat. Second cup's the meal where you're remembering the Passover. The third cup was one after the meal, kind of relaxing and reflecting. And then the fourth cup was usually consumed, and then with that cup, one would often sing some of the Psalms to reflect upon how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now, notice what Jesus does here. We believe he pauses at the third cup. Look in the text here. He says, truly, I tell you, I will no longer drink the fruit of the vine. He pauses after the third cup. They've consumed that. And we believe by reading the text, after the third cup, he pauses and says, I'm not going to drink anymore with you tonight, boys. 
In fact, I won't drink with you again until we drink in the new heaven and the new earth. And many believe Jesus left that fourth cup on the table. And they walked out of the room in which they had shared the Passover meal with the final cup sitting on the table. And that final cup was like an object lesson, a reminder that the disciples would one day drink with Jesus again. And it wouldn't be upon this earth. It would be in the new heaven and the new earth. And Jesus, though he was about to face a cruel fate, and though the disciples will all be scattered, and though they would be fearful of their outcome, Jesus had left this promise, this lone, solitary, quiet cup as a reminder that there would be a day in which they would feast with him again. And open your eyes, church. Revelation 19 tells us about this feast. It calls, us, calls it the wedding supper of the Lamb. And it tells us that there's coming a day in which we'll all be clothed in white, and we will sit with Jesus around the table, and we will eat with him, and we will drink with him, and we will enjoy a perfect place in which there is no sin, there is no suffering, there is no Satan, and there is no separation. We will enjoy peace and abundance in the presence of Jesus forever. So get what you did this morning. As you took of that juice and you took of that bread, you're not just looking back to the past at what Jesus did to you. You're looking forward to the future. And your Lord's given you an object lesson to try to teach you as you're a pilgrim throughout this earth that this world is not all there is. Don't lay up yourself for yourself treasures on earth where rust and moth destroy. Instead, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither rust nor moth can destroy. I need to keep my eyes on the future. I want you to see a third important commitment I need to make, that we need to make. The third realization we can have as we take the Lord's Supper. Lastly, we see this, and I would say it like this. I have a relationship to enjoy. Everybody say that word, Relationship. We see in verse 26, as Jesus says, or Mark records, after singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So they left the fourth cup on the table, but they go out singing as custom would have it and believe they most likely sang Psalm 116, 117, and Psalm 118. And usually the Passover celebration was complete by midnight. That's before Baptist came along and said, you got to finish by noon. (laughs) Now, the worshipful praise at the end of this Lord's Supper reminds us of something very important. What we do with the bread and with the juice is not just a ritual. This isn't some cold, legalistic observance. This isn't something of liturgy and formality this isn't something where we should be necessarily focused on making sure everybody's got the right cue and we march in order and we chant the right words and we take up things in the right way sure there should be reverence here but get the point they're praising they're worshiping the lord 
Remember what Jesus said in John chapter 4. Here is what the Lord wants, those who worship him in spirit and in truth. Notice this focus on worship here. This focus on worship is a reminder that through Jesus Christ, we have not just religion, but we have relationship. Through Jesus Christ, we as God's people have this experience of a soul-to-soul connection with God. We're not just blindly, coldly, legalistically taking elements, jumping through some religious hoop, hoping that it makes God happy. We're not earning our salvation by taking of these elements. No, we are worshiping the Lord and experiencing a soul-to-soul relationship with him. Jesus talked about how the Lord's Supper carries this meaning. In John 6, 53, he said this. He said, truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you do not have life in yourselves. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Now, now be careful with Jesus' words there. Some have twisted his words and created this doctrine that teaches when we take of the juice and when we take of the bread that it somehow miraculously, mysteriously, magically becomes the body and becomes the blood of Jesus, that you're actually literally eating Jesus as you eat the elements. That's not the meaning here. Jesus, it's obvious here, is using figurative language. In fact, that's impossible because Jesus was standing in front of his disciples at the first Lord's Supper. How could the body, how could the bread and the wine actually literally become him if he was in front of them? So that's not the meaning. Jesus is using a symbol. He's using metaphorical speech where he speaks in John 6 of us eating his body. What is he doing? He's using an object lesson to depict the intimacy we have with God through him. Now, now when you eat, what happens? The food goes into your mouth, down your throat, through your gullet, into your stomach. Gastric juices are released, right? Y'all follow me? Y'all think about this when you're eating your chicken a little bit later on. All right? And the gastric juices begin to break down that food extracts the nutrients and the cholesterol, amen, extracts the nutrients and begins to send it through your bloodstream to your vital organs and to your body parts. And that food gives you energy and life. That food becomes a part of you for the most part. Now, Jesus here uses that as an example to speak of our relationship with him. He metaphorically speaks as if we eat Christ. He becomes a part of us. He goes into us, enters into our being. What's he talking about? He's talking about the Holy Spirit. That through him, we have this vital connection to the Lord, wherein John 3, 3, he actually becomes a part of us. Jesus uses metaphorical language to speak of the real intimacy we have with God, the closeness we have with God through him. 
And so as we take of the Lord's Supper, we actually get a reminder of that. We eat this bread, and we take of the juice, and now it's in our bodies, representing the body and blood of Christ. It's being broken down and assimilated into our bloodstream. We have this marvelous picture that Jesus is a part of us. It's a reminder we've been made for relationship. I have a relationship to enjoy. So get this, if you are a Christian, you're never alone in life. It, though Jesus is currently at the right hand of God, Hebrews 1.3, Scripture teaches he's also right now in your heart. And throughout life in Jesus Christ, that friend that sticks closer to a brother, you have a guide, you have a teacher, you have a helper, and you have a comforter. No matter what life throws your way, Jesus is with you. You have a relationship to enjoy. For more information, visit us online at tabernaclebaptist.org. Thanks for listening.